You have put me in my lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Uh, good morning, everybody. Try that again. Good morning, everybody. Better? Good to see you. I'm glad that you're here. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the teaching pastors. Before we dive into our low series again, I just want to uh, just kind of bring you up to date on a couple of things. Just got back from the men's retreat last night. Uh, we've got about 100 guys down south at Fort Casey. God is doing incredible work dismantling and putting pieces back together again down there. Pastor Todd's preaching down there this morning. We kind of tag-teamed the weekend. And so that's going on uh, as this weekend's going. So be thinking and praying about that as we're walking through this time together. Next weekend is Mother's Day. And so uh, I was thinking about this for a long time. Uh, I don't know why. We've never had a mom speak on Mother's Day. That just doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense, right? So we're going to actually have a mom speak on Mother's Day next weekend. Uh, Angel Finsred is going to be joining with us next weekend. And if you know Angel, she's a great communicator. She's going to talk about the highs and the lows of motherhood. And yes, it applies to the men in the room as well. You don't want to miss that, all right? And then... Uh, as soon as we're done the low series, we're gonna turn. We're gonna take a hard left hand turn and go in a completely different direction. Several summers ago, we took the entire summer and we walked through the Book of Revelation. And it was an interesting summer as we went through, I mean, we peeled back layers on one of the most controversial books. Well, somebody then showed up and said, Grant, you told us the end of the story and that's really cool. C could we talk about the beginning of the story? And I thought, I'm not sure I'm ready to tackle Genesis yet. Genesis is strange. I mean, there's weird stuff in there, but, you know, I love a good dare. So starting in about three weeks, we're going to explore creation, the Garden of Eden, original sin, Noah, Babel, the Nephilim, Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham, Jacob, plural marriage, marrying your cousin, the original WrestleMania, a blood food, family strife, and everything else in a series that we're just calling Genesis. So if you want to, get, if you want to read ahead, start at the beginning of the book, 50 chapters, and it will... It will make you scratch your head, go, what in the world was God up to all the way back then? So that's what's coming. Disappointments in life are just low moments, right? You set an expectation and somebody doesn't meet it, so you're disappointed. Some of you are disappointed that you got summer on Thursday and now it's gone and you're finished. And it's not coming back. I got one day over 70 degrees, and that's all I'm going to get from now for the rest of the year. If you're a Mariners fan, you understand disappointment, okay? You just get it. This whole year, I mean, it's been epically disappointing from beginning to end. Some of you were disappointed last weekend when a millennial punk in skinny jeans showed up here in front of everybody and had an interesting perspective on cats and dogs, okay? I was disappointed because I got three dogs. If you add them all together, they do not make Ron Swanson's benchmark of 50 pounds. So apparently, I don't have three dogs, according to Brian. Apparently, I have three cats that bark, okay? That's just... <laughs> and according to my brother Brian, that's pointless, okay? I don't know what to do with that. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm disappointed because you missed church last weekend, and it was epic. It was amazing watching all of those baptisms. It was incredible disappointments are just low moments in life. 
This past week, I disappointed a young lady without even meaning to. I was minding my own business in a coffee shop. An eight-year-old girl walked up, and she looked at me, and she goes, you're on TV. You're famous. And before I even had a chance to have a pride moment or to bask in the glory of actually being mistaken for somebody famous, she looked a little closer at me and then said, oh, no, you're not. Seriously, she goes, no, you're not. You're just normal. (laughs) Sorry to disappoint you, sweetheart. I mean, I didn't even get a word in and I disappointed this little girl. When you're disappointed by a stranger, that's tough. But I'll tell you what's even tougher. It's tougher when you're disappointed by somebody who's not a stranger. On two occasions, once in 1995, another in 2003, I had to sit across from a man who just days earlier had been both my boss and my pastor. In both cases, because of poor moral choices, both men had to step down from their positions and we were meeting to deal with the pain and the disappointment of bad choices. Those were two of the lowest moments in my life. Because I wish I could tell you that all I had in my heart in that moment was grace and mercy, but that would be lying. And you don't lie in church. I was kind of wrapped up in all kinds of things, hurt and angry, frustrated and scared, but more than anything, I was just disappointed because a person that I thought that I knew had let me down. And more than just putting themselves at risk, they had put my family at risk because of their choices. And and that was tough. And their choices affected me. And everything I knew to be right and good and biblical, like grace and mercy, compassion, they were all challenged as we just sat there uncomfortable and awkward in that low moment. And I'll be honest with you, even the words, I'm sorry, I was wrong, felt like a band-aid on a bullet hole in the center of my soul. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've experienced a low moment. You're just disappointed by another human being. Well, that's where we're going to go today. We're going to go there. When I read books, I don't know about you, but I hardly ever read the introduction. I just think they're kind of pointless. I dive into chapter one and off I go. I rarely, if ever, read the appendix. You know why? Because I don't care, really. Once I get to the end of the book, I'm pretty much finished. And when I'm reading my Bible, I hardly ever pay attention to, to, to two specific areas. Not that I shouldn't, but I just kind of jump over top of them. Genealogies, Just kind of jump over top of them because when so-and-so begat so-and-so, it gets a little redundant, unless it's the genealogy of Jesus, which is fascinating. So I tend to jump over that, and then I tend to jump over what are known as the personal remarks at the end of all of the pastoral epistles. And so this past week, on Monday morning, I get an email question, a biblical question. So I'm actually researching the answer to the question, and, and I go plowing into a section of scripture that I'd never really paid attention to before, and God so got my attention with that little passage of scripture that it turned into this message. The Apostle Paul, former hitman turned missionary, is writing to a young pastor named Timothy. I have so loved the book of First and Second Timothy because I've been there, done that. And he's writing from a Roman prison. That had to be disappointing. That's a low moment. It's a low moment geographically. It's a low moment spiritually. It's a low moment emotionally. I mean, when you're in a Roman prison, if you've ever even had an opportunity to see one, it's a hole in the ground with bars over top of it. It's horrible. And I'm sure there were times when Paul was thinking to myself, so this is what you get when you spend a life loving Jesus? And you end up in a Roman hole. I mean, he should have been in a low point. But instead, he's writing a letter to a young pastor trying to encourage him. And at the end of the book, he just pours his heart out about people. And I'll be honest with you. I've never really paid attention 
to what he talks about. But as you read through it, you find the highs and lows of human relationship. Let me read it to you. 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 9. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus, and when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metalworker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support. Ouch. Everyone deserted me, but may it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And he's not done yet. Greek Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth. I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you. So do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all of the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. And some of you are asking a very, very good question right now. What in the world does that have to do with me? Well, let's dive right into the middle of it. Every single one of these names represents a relationship. Every one of them. Let's walk through them and see whether or not God actually has something to say to us out of the relational construct of 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to do them out of order because I don't believe there's any prioritization in the original text. He's just laying out his relational world for us. Some of it's beautiful, some of it's heartbreaking. I hope you're ready to go there with me. Let's start with the broken relationship. In verse number 10, it talks about a guy named Demas. It says, because he loved this world, he has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. If you're living and breathing, you probably experienced the pain of a broken relationship, a dating relationship that ended that you thought was going to go somewhere else, a friendship that finished, a marriage that didn't work, a business partnership that dissolved, a family relationship that suddenly went sideways on you, and, and, and to even talk about it right now brings up unbelievable pain inside of you. Why? Because nobody likes to talk about pain, especially relational pain. But the truth is we need to, or... This is what will happen. If you don't ever talk about your pain, your pain will become anger. Anger will become bitterness, and bitterness always ends in sin. That's just the way it works. Just the way it works. Paul's struggling in this moment. He's saying, Demas was my friend. He was my, my partner in ministry. He was my brother. And in one of the darkest, lowest moments of my life, he had an opportunity to choose the way of the cross and follow Jesus with me. Or he had the opportunity to choose the way of the world. And instead of picking me and Jesus, he went the other way. That's disappointing. It hurts. It's human to hurt. You know, I've learned a few things about pain in my 28 years of being a pastor. This is one thing I know for sure. You can delay dealing with your pain, but you can never defer it completely. You're going to have to do the work at some point. And I actually think this hurts so much more because you can be disappointed in a stranger. Demas is not a stranger. Demas is family. 
So that means this is brokenness and betrayal. So let's not be afraid to go there. But I, I put a bunch of uh, uh, blanks in your outline. I hope you'll actually take the risk of going there. So I, I actually shared this with the men down at the men's retreat on the weekend. And it was amazing because I gave them this outline and I gave them a pen. And I said, I actually want you to write down these names because it's so important that you do. And when I asked them to do that and then actually gave them an opportunity to fill in, you know what happened? Nothing. So I started asking. Why aren't you writing down names? And guys got really, really honest. Said, it just hurts too much. It makes it real. Let's go there. I mean, I want to remind you of something. Jesus is in the room. It's not like he doesn't know who's in that blank for you. It's not a shock, okay? So let me ask the question. Who's your Demas? Who left you? Who picked another option other than you? Who chose wrongly? And here's a better question. Have you forgiven them? Can you forgive as the Lord forgave you before you just decide to take up an offense against this person? I'm going to remind you of something. Anybody else in the room ever just walked out on Jesus? Hmm. Everybody else in the room's lying. Okay, just we're going there, right? When you came back, did he punish you or did he forgive you? You know, when I asked you about your Demas, what happened in your mind when you wrote down their name? Did you commit murder in your brain? I know I do. I struggle with that. It's so easy to just go into that punitive phase where we punish the person in our mind and we're a little ticked off when God taps us on the corner of the soul and says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourself. Or you may also be tempted. The Bible also says this in Romans 12, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So what, do you, what happens in your heart when you think of your Demas? Is your heart to restore gently or torture slowly? When you think of your Demas, have you done what you can do? Or is there still so much that needs to be done? Here's another question. Who's your Demas? Whose Demas are you? Oh. Who'd you walk out on? Who did you choose? Your way over. Let's keep on moving. We're going to get more squirmy as the morning goes along. Secondly, there's the adversarial relationship. The Bible says this in verse 14. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. History tells us that Alexander was an idol maker in Ephesus. He actually crafted graven images out of metal and his livelihood is threatened because this preacher shows up and starts pounding you know his hand on the ten commandments do not make a graven image you shall have no other gods before me that's not good for business so he makes a decision i'm going to make the preacher's life a living hell and paul does the craziest thing when this enemy comes against him he chooses to love his enemy crazy talk isn't it he loves his enemy And he does that not by getting even, but by handing him over to God's judgment. I'll tell you what, that takes maturity and wisdom. Now I want you to notice something here. Paul's still cautious. He still has good boundaries. He warns his friends. You guys need to be careful of Alexander the metal worker. This guy is actually really, really bad news. I want to make sure we understand this. Loving our enemies doesn't mean we allow ourselves to be victimized further. That would just be foolish. But instead, we take our enemies and we entrust them to God for his 
ability to take care of it because when we handle it, it doesn't tend, tend to go well for us. So here's another name and another opportunity to be really, really honest. Who's your Alexander? Who's your Alexander? Who hurt you? Who wounded you? Who attacked you and left a knife sticking out of your back? And as you write down your name again, what happened in your heart? Are you thinking about revenge? Do you start plotting? Do you start planning on how you're going to balance the scales? Or do you go biblical like Paul and say, I, I, I can't make the pain go out of my brain, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hand them over to Jesus. Did you listen when God said it? Do not repay evil for evil. Do not take revenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I love the fact that Paul practices what he preaches. He says, I'm not going to obsess over this person. I'm not going to fixate over this person. I'm going to let God deal before we move on. Who's your Alexander? And whose Alexander are you? Because it goes both ways, doesn't it? Let's keep moving on to the pain of isolation. Here's the abandoned relationship. I want you to listen to the pain in Paul's experience. Listen to this. At my first defense, no one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. Wow. That's a low moment when you feel completely and utterly alone. When you just think, somebody's going to show. Like somebody has to care about this. In Paul's case, he's actually on trial for his life in Rome. Somebody's going to show up in the courtroom. Somebody's going to back me up. I'm doing the right thing here. Somebody's got to show up and help me out. When you turn around and look around, who's there? Nobody. That's a low moment. And it's an easy place to get stuck. We get stuck there, right? Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. What in the world am I going to do? But I want you to listen and learn to the gracious words that come pouring out of Paul's mouth next. Now I want to remind you, he just said, nobody showed up. Not a single human being showed. Verse 16, what does he say? May it not be held against them. Can I tell you where Paul learned that? Do the words, Father, forgive them, they don't have a clue what they're doing, mean anything to anybody else in the room? Paul learned it from Jesus. Oh, if we could try and get there. So let's ask the hard question. Who deserted you? Who didn't show up when you were on trial and fighting for your soul? Who was a no-show? Who spoke volumes by saying absolutely nothing at all? And are you still mad at him? Are you still so stuck in your abandonment that you're so fixated on who wasn't there that you can't even pay attention to actually who may have been there? Because I want to remind you, every moment of your life when you have felt utterly isolated and abandoned, you feeling that made you overlook the one person who was actually there. Because God says, the Lord himself goes before you and he will be with you. And he will never leave you, nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. People may leave or no show, but the beautiful thing about loving God is that he's always there. Sometimes we just forget. We overlook him. Why? Because we're always looking for the human factor. Have you ever stopped and just said, God, thank you for being there in the low moment? I may not have felt you, but I know you were there. You said you would be. 
Have you ever stopped for just a second and said that room and I felt like I was utterly alone? Actually, I wasn't. Years ago, when we were getting ready to plant Redeemer Church, Pastor Rob Barrett, God bless his heart. Rob's one of the most faithful human beings I've ever met. For six months, Rob, every Sunday morning, would go into the prayer room up on the second floor and pray that God would bring a core of people around him to help him plant that church. And so many weeks, I'd be walking down the hallway, and Rob would come out, and he would be the only person coming out of the room. The fact that Redeemer is so healthy and vibrant today is just a miracle all by itself. But even in those moments, I will never forget Rob's perspective. Because I'd ask him, hey, Robbie, how was prayer time this morning? And if he was the only one, he'd always say the same thing. It was fantastic. The whole Trinity showed up. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit joined me in prayer this morning, praying that God would plant a church on the south side of the city that would reach out into young people's lives. And it's a reality today. Why? Because Rob didn't focus on who wasn't there. He focused on who was. Boy, do we need to hear that message, don't we? Let's keep moving in a positive direction. Let's touch on the reconciled relationship. Verse 11 says this, get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. I love this mention. If you read the rest of your Bible, you run into a guy by the name of John Mark. John Mark came along on Paul's first missionary journey, but he kind of lost his mojo about halfway through and, and he bailed and went back home again. And Paul is frustrated. He's angry, but there's a problem. Paul has a friend by the name of Barnabas. Barnabas' name literally means the son of encouragement. Everybody needs an encourager. Someone to cheer you on when you feel like you're completely alone. And, and, and Barnabas keeps telling Paul, you need to reconcile with John Mark. You need to put these pieces back together again. I know you're ticked. I know he disappointed you. Get over it. Come on, Paul. You're supposed to be the spiritual leader of this great movement. You need to love this guy back into the fold. And we don't have a clue how it happens, there's no details given. All we know is that somewhere along the line, Paul and John Mark are reconciled because in this low moment of Paul's life, who does he ask to come and join him? John Mark. Somewhere along the line, God put the pieces together. Somewhere in the, long, the line, Jesus walked into the room and said, you and you, you need to restore this brotherhood and this friendship. You need to put these pieces back together again. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I love the fact that there is a reconciled relationship. So here comes the question. Who's your John Mark? Is there someone you have reconciled with? Is there someone you need to? Is there someone that you need to extend grace or a second chance to? And I know some of us are thinking right away, I would absolutely reconcile if they'd come to me and make it right. That how Jesus did it with you? I remember this statement back on the cross. I already said it once this morning. Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing yet. John Mark messed up, but Paul was willing to put the pieces together. Why? Because God says this, if your brother or your sister sins... Go and point out their fault. Some of us love that verse right there. It's like, I'm going to do that all right. 
I'm going to go point out their fault. I'm going to tell them everything that they've ever done wrong to hurt me and why they were wrong in that particular moment and everything they're going to need to do to try and make it right. And I don't know about you, but whenever I start pointing my finger like this, I always feel the Holy Spirit of God grab my finger because I got three fingers pointing back at me and he twists it over because this is the position that God wants our hand in all the time. So we can receive grace and we can offer it. It's reconciliation. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Turn the hand in reconciliation. And then it says this, just between the two of you. Ah, there it is. Don't go on Facebook and convince 2,700 of your friends how bad that other person is. Don't, in fact, you're not even allowed to bring anybody else into the conversation. If you bring anyone else into the conversation when you have an issue with another brother or sister, you're sinning. Hmm. You're flat out sinning. You need to keep the circle of offense exactly the same size as the circle of relationship and the circle of reconciliation. And if you do that, here's the payoff. If they listen to you, you've won them over. Matthew 18. Developing a forgiving spirit helps us see ourselves as being equal in need of a savior, equal in need of grace. It keeps us from seeing ourselves as the standard. It keeps us low and humble. If you've never heard me say this before, I hope you'll write it down. Our goal as a church is to never be higher than his feet. Because that's where God meets us in the low. Let's do a couple more. How about the faithful human relationship? Verse 11. Only Luke is with me. Only Luke. Boy, it's so easy to get fixated on the abandoners, right? And we forget who's right in front of us. I don't have a Luke. I have a Laurel. She's amazing. She has had my back when I got it right. She's had my back when I got it wrong. It's been a beautiful thing over the years. But you know what's heartbreaking? is the number of times I've taken it for granted or just overlooked her. Or the time when I, when I never even just bothered to say, hey, thank you. Easy to overlook the Lukes. Let me ask you a question. I hope you can fill in this blank. Who's your Luke? If you don't have one, you need to ask God for one. Who stuck with you? Who showed up? I mean, I put this question in here another way. Have you neglected the faithful because you're so fixated on the enemies? I mean, who stayed for you? And whose Luke have you been? Who, who have you uh, showed up for? I mean, I think this is amazing, right? Paul's got tough stuff to say about two people, Demas and Alexander, and then he spends the rest of the time actually making a mental list of all the people that stood with him. You know what I did on Tuesday morning? I sat down with a piece of yellow legal paper, and I just started writing down the first names of all of the people that have actually stood with me over the last 18 years just at Christ the King alone. I filled both sides of the paper, and I was not done. So many of you have been so faithful over the years. I mean, just the fact that you've had this 18, I'm a dinosaur in pastor ministry, just so you know. I'm also not famous, according to a little girl in a coffee shop, so you know how that works, right? But Paul just starts listing them off. So I'm going to ask you the question, who are your Cretans, your Titus, your Luke, your Tychicus, your Priscilla, your Aquila, your Onesiphorus, your Erastus, your Trophimus, your Eubulus, your Putins, your Linus, and your Claudia? Who are those people for you? That's a good lineup of names. You should name your kids after those people right there. I mean, have you ever thanked them for their faithfulness? Hey, thanks for sticking with me. Thanks for not giving up on me. Let's add one more, okay? 
And this is the most amazing. It's the faithful divine relationship. Paul lists off all of these people, and he's got them all on the list, right? The faithful and the flaky, the righteous and the wrong, the peaceful and the punks. I mean, they're all there together. And then he says this, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. Who stands with you? Write it down. Who stands with you? And in this particular context, if you wrote down any other name than the name that starts with a J and ends with an S and is not the name James, you missed it, okay? You missed it. Jesus stands with us no matter what. He infuses spiritual strength to the lonely and the isolated and the lost and the low. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith so we can look beyond the failures of people and still remain faithful to a God who's always present. Always present. What does Paul say at the end here? I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Say it with me. Amen. You know what Paul's really saying? Paul's saying this. I don't bring my relational world to God and ask him to superimpose himself on top of it. Paul says, I start with Jesus and then I build my relational world around him. Because that's the only way I, I can avoid being ultimately disappointed. And that's how I don't get stuck in people's failures. That's what allows me to look above and look beyond. And God says this. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. So let's get really, 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 really practical. Okay? Here's the homework for the week. Start with Jesus. Put him in the center. Best friend, closer than a brother, never leaves me. Even when I feel alone, he's there. Start with Jesus. Forgive your demons. Just release them from your judgment. Let them go. Thirdly, here's the tough one because it's biblical. Love your Alexander. Ouch, right? My Bible says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. That's a tough choice. If you need encouragement, while we were still sinners, natural born enemies of God, Jesus died for us. There's your inspiration. Love your Alexander. Don't focus on who's gone from your life. Focus on who God has placed in your life. If you haven't already, reconcile with your John Mark. Go make it right. It's like, Grant, that's hard. I know. It's worth it. Make it right. Return the favor to Luke. If someone's ever stood with you, go stand with somebody this week. Just show up. Tell them you're not alone. I'm here. I may not be able to bring anything else to the table, but here I am. I'm here. And I'll be a part of this. And finally, never ever forget who your closest divine friend is or should be. Started off this time talking about two men that disappointed me. Let's be fair. <laughs> None of us can claim exclusivity when it comes to, to having people that once disappointed us. And we, we, can't, we can't just pretend that we've never ever done that to anybody else. It's just not the way it works. 
You know the beauty of both of those stories? That even though we had that moment of disappointment, the relationships actually continued. Was it an easy road? Nope. Did our humanness show up on a regular basis? Absolutely. Did we all need grace at different times? Yes. Was it worth it? Without question. Because if I was to write some closing personal remarks on the letter of my life, I would actually be able to put the names of both of those men under the list of friends. Not because I did anything good, but because Jesus has been good. So I'd love to finish this time by telling you to take the high road in your relationship, but that doesn't really fit with the series. So instead, I'm going to ask you to do this this week. Take the low road of humility with your relationships. I promise you, you'll bump into a man by the name of Jesus there. And he's a God that can take the most broken relationships and turn them into something beautiful. Would you pray with me this morning? God, this is hard work. It's not easy. But it's essential. And I thank you in an obscure passage of 2 Timothy chapter 4 that Paul walks us through how Jesus puts the pieces back together again. God, may we not think so highly of ourselves that we would place ourselves solely in the victim category. God, I pray we would take responsibility for the things we need to. God, help us to do the same work to forgive and be forgiven, to clean our side of the street, and to love you even when there's nothing coming back to us other than the love and approval of the God who stands with us. Lord, I pray for those who've had that moment when they felt completely alone. I pray now they would look back and that they would see your fingerprints, your presence, your hope and your help as you've brought them now to this point. So God, may we be more mindful of who you are and how much you love us today. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.